that's what we'll follow up here. But anyway, Psalm 16 tonight, the Messiah's victory. We know that uh, David was the uh, human author of half the Psalms. 75 are accounted for with David's name. And perhaps more of them, as we will see even tonight. It is said that David's favorite subject in the Psalms is the Messiah, which is a dominant theme in his writings. Psalm 16 is a Messianic psalm in that it is quoted in the New Testament, showing very specifically that the resurrection of Jesus is the fulfillment of prophetic truth found therein. Both Peter, Acts 2, and Paul, Acts 13, quoted from this psalm to prove that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the fulfillment of prophecy found in this psalm. Psalm 16, as a psalm of David, was written about a thousand years. David's living about a thousand years before the time of Christ. So when he's writing, he's writing about a thousand years uh, prior to Christ. Uh, The great truths that we hold dear in the gospel are grounded in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, When Paul says that the gospel is according to the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15, he means the Old Testament scriptures, of which Psalm 16 is key. Now, Messianic prophecy in the Old Testament often uh, was depicted as a type, and then fulfillment of it in the New Testament is called the anti-type. Now, we have the experience of David in view here, clearly, uh, a lot of parts, uh, places uh, uh, in the psalm. We have David in view as a type, but prophetically, it has the greater David, the Messiah Jesus, ultimately in view. And at certain points, it can only be ultimately really applied to Jesus. Well, let's begin. Uh, Psalm 16 begins with uh, a mictum of David. Well, what's that mean? Well, we're not sure. Uh, Some think it uh, refers to the idea of golden or precious. Others think it means to cover or to inscribe. It seems to have the emphasis that this is uh, something special about this. It was evidently... Uh, thought to be a musical term that held some kind of special designation. (laughs) Exactly the significance, we don't know. But notice he begins, verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. This is a messianic psalm, but it could be titled, The Confidence of a Life Lived with God That Will Take You Into Eternity. The blessings of living for and in close fellowship with God are portrayed. Verses 1 through 8 emphasize God's special care of David, the psalmist. It's a very personal psalm with uh, the personal pronoun my being used over a half dozen times. Verse 1 really serves as a summary emphasis that is then developed throughout the psalm. David depends on God to preserve him in this life and ultimately on into eternity. The idea of preserve is to watch over, to take care of. So David was depending on God to take care of him, and because of this, he put his trust in God's sovereign care. All the way through life and on into glory, the trusting soul depends on God for his persevering, loving care. Verse 2. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my God. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Now, there are several names for God that we find in verses 1 and 2. Whoops, sorry. Very good. Uh, God uh, is used. El means almighty. 
Lord, Yahweh, means the self-existing, eternal, unchanging one. It relates not only to his existence, but also to his character. That's why we call this the covenant name. It relates to his very character that doesn't change. And then uh, Lord is Adonai, which means sovereign, Lord, or, or master. Well, this describes the God in whom David trusted. You can trust a God with these characteristics. And because he knew who God is, he lived with confidence in God's sovereign care that not only has ramifications for this life, but on into eternity and for all eternity. Notice uh, in Psalm 73, it says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you? My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We see that same sentiment being expressed in Psalm 16. David's trust is expressed in telling God, you are my Lord. That is my sovereign master who controls my fate. Now, when David says, my goodness is nothing apart from you, he has in mind here his welfare or well-being. David realized that his entire well-being is because of God's good care. As James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. Verse 3, he continues, As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The saints are God's people who are set apart for him. Saint is literally holy ones. Uh, David describes them as excellent ones or noble ones, in whom is all his delight. Uh, A man is known by the company he keeps, and David's people were God's saints. These are the people he delighted in. David delighted in the community of true faith. But there are two groups of people on the earth. There are the saints and there are the wicked who are not set apart for God. David delighted in the saints and would have nothing to do with the activity of those who forsake God in idolatry. His fellowship was not there. He says of them, verse 4, "...their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another god." Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. So the unfaithful hasten after false gods and offer up idolatrous offerings to them. David says, not with me. I'm not having any part of this. He won't even take the names of these false gods upon his lips. He wants nothing to do with them. David's identity was with the saints, not with those who forsake the true God for false gods. I mean, his identification was very clear. Now, a great indicator to where someone is at is this. Whom do they identify with? Where is their fellowship? David's commitment to the Lord was clear as seen in the fellowship he delighted in with God's people, the saints. Verse 5, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. David here uses Lord, Yahweh, the sacred covenant name for God, to acknowledge God's gracious provision for him. He sees himself as a God-made man. God himself is the portion of his inheritance and the one who maintains his lot. This language of inheritance and and my lot really uh, tracks back to uh, what God did for Israel when they came into the promised land and, and they conquered the promised land. Under Joshua, each tribe was assigned a special inheritance. 
except for the tribe of Levi and the priests, in which case the Lord himself was their inheritance. Well, David now sees his relationship with the Lord in that same light. It's not merely about what God has given him, but about this very special relationship that he has with God himself. David sensed a very special relationship, and he did have a special relationship with the Lord. Well, having this was the most important thing to David, and this relationship was secured by God himself. Notice verse 6, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. One time I was at an Oswald reunion, and uh, some of those, uh, those old Oswalds were, were godly men. Uh, you know, in my family, my grandfather's brothers, I don't know how many of them were preachers, Mennonite church. But uh, there was, uh, I think, an old uh, guy got up. He was from Minnesota, and he quoted this verse. I wasn't even a believer, I don't think, at the time, but I never forgot it the way he sh- shared it. The lines have fallen to me in a very pleasant place. Yes, I have a good inheritance. One of my favorite verses It emphasizes that the blessing of God and what he has sovereignly bestowed. The lines drawn in the promised land didn't happen by accident. They were sovereignly drawn. They were sovereignly determined by God. Well, David celebrates that the lines God has drawn for him, his lot in life, is very pleasant. Yes, he has a good inheritance. He didn't say, ah, man, I'm... I'm upset with what God's given me. No. He had a good inheritance. It was according to God's doing. ESV study Bible, the song promotes contentment and the arrangements with the arrangements of one's life, seeing them as providentially ordered. Well, the spirit of this is similar to Paul's emphasis in the New Testament, where we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are the called according to his purpose. While rehearsing what God has done for him, David then blesses the Lord for how he has counseled and led him. Praising the Lord for what he has, his inheritance, his lot. But then for how the Lord leads him. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. The word bless means to speak well of and thus to praise. To provide counsel is to provide guidance and direction. Now, it is believed that David probably wrote Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, consisting of 176 verses. But the theme of this very long psalm is the Word of God, with virtually every verse either referring directly or indirectly to God's Word. So clearly, if David did write it, and many believe that he did, uh, he clearly put a high premium on God's counsel, provided to him through the inspired word of God. When he says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel, uh, he was really thinking, I believe, in terms of the word of God. Notice uh, the emphasis here in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Bless the Lord. Uh, Psalm 119.27, make me understand the way of your precepts, your rules. So I shall meditate on your wonderful works. And again, verse 130, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The word of God and what it did for David. The counsel of the Lord comes from the word of the Lord, the Bible. 
David also wrote Psalm 19, which is neatly divided into two parts related to natural revelation for six verses, and then special revelation as found in the rest of the chapter. Special revelation is what God has revealed via his word. And this is how God has revealed himself to us. Natural revelation and special revelation, the word of God. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes, written laws of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, really a synonym for the, for the law, emphasizing it is to be reverenced is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are righteous and true altogether. Again, David's writing extensively about the word of God, which relates to the counsel of God. And then he goes on to say in that psalm, Psalm 19, verse 10, More to be desired are they, the scriptures, than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. It is thought that David also wrote Psalm 1. I mean, you've got to realize this guy's got his fingerprints all over. God's the sovereign uh, author behind it. But uh, Psalm 1, uh, how precious is this? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In the word of God, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. David was clearly a man of the word who lived in it day and night. The counsel of the Lord came to him via the word. This was the great thing that so enriched his life. And so he said, my heart also instructs me in the night season. In the night when all is quiet, but the mind is active. As David meditated on God's word, God instructed him. You know, a lot happens in the night, right? A lot of spiritual things happen in the night. Uh, Through my many years of ministry, I have known quite a few sleepless nights. In which God came and ministered the word to my heart in an indescribable way. Some of the hardest times turned out to be some of the best times that I've had with the Lord and been gone deeper in my soul with the Lord than any other time. Happened in the middle of the night. That ministry of the Lord is so special and so real. Warren Wearsby says, The word instruct carries with it the idea of discipline or chastening. For David learned many lessons when God's loving hand chastened him. And many of those lessons, it seems to me, came home to his heart in the middle of the night on the quiet of his bed. Charles Ryrie says, Sleepless nights provide opportunity for instruction, facing hard facts. I like that. Sleepless nights provide opportunity for instruction, facing hard facts. Uh, I don't know who wrote this. Nobody knows who wrote it. It's anonymous, but uh, it makes the point. And many a rapturous minstrel among those saints of light will say of his sweet, sweetest music, I learned it in the night. And many a rolling anthem that fills the father's home sobbed out its first rehearsal in the shade of a darkened room. Boy, I think there's truth there. Uh, Note this. 
He instructs, my heart also instructs me in the night season. Praise the Lord for his counsel. Psalm 33, verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. The word of our God shall stand forever. Well, the ministry of the Lord results in spiritual stability. I think a man of the word becomes stable through that. Verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. David engaged in deliberate reflection and focus on the Lord. He purposed in his heart to constantly set the Lord, Yahweh, before him. He was stayed on being focused on God continually. And because of this, David was cognizant that God was at his right hand. In other words, he was immediately present. And consequently, because of God's presence at his right hand, he would not be moved. He had security in God's presence and God's keeping. And he's gleaning these great truths from the word of God, from the counsel of God as he meditates on these things, even in the night seasons. Well, beginning at verse 8, Peter in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 28, makes direct application to Jesus the Messiah and his experience. David wrote of his own experience, but he also wrote prophetically of the coming Messiah. Verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, my flesh also will rest in hope. The security found through trust in the Lord fills the heart with gladness. The language of my glory rejoices is beautiful, inspired language. It is translated as my tongue in Acts 2.26. John MacArthur says, it is best to consider my glory as referring to that distinctive way in which man is created in the image of God, that that is his intelligence and ability to speak. You see, it's our glory to joyously speak God's praises. It's one of our highest activities. What a neat phrase. Uh, My glory rejoices. That is my tongue that sings God's praises. And because of the reality of knowing security in the Lord, David said, my flesh also will rest in hope. This verse describes total security. David ultimately had a physical hope as well as a spiritual one. He had a physical future with the Lord. And that segues into the great messianic prophecy concerning the resurrection of Christ. Uh, Let's see here. Um, I think I forgot to give credit to whoever I'm quoting this from. Uh, I got it from somewhere, I think. But anyway, (laughs) Uh, maybe I'm summarizing. I forget. But anyway, in verse 9, there's an interesting uh, change in perspective as David changes from the perfect tense to the imperfect tense. In Hebrew, the perfect tense denotes a completed action, whereas the imperfect tense denotes an incompleted or future action. Uh, So this ultimately looks forward to uh, for complete fulfillment in the Messiah and what he will accomplish as the text goes on to show in verse 10. Thus is applied to the Messiah in Acts 2, 26, verse 9, would prophetically be fulfilled in the burial of Christ. Death in the Bible for God's people is spoken of as rest 
And Christ in his burial rested in the hope, the certain expectation of resurrection. Again, it is applied to the Messiah in Acts 2. And then it says in verse 10, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. In, the de- in death, the soul of Christ went to Sheol, while his body was put in the grave. Now, Sheol in the Old Testament, it's an Old Testament Hebrew word, uh, corresponding to Hades, the, the Greek word in the New Testament. But Sheol refers to the realm of departed spirits in the Old Testament. Luke 16 indicates that in the Old Testament, there were really two separate compartments in the realm of the dead, called Sheol in Hebrew in the Old Testament, but translated as Hades in the Greek of the New Testament. Uh, This, I believe, was put together by George Zeller, and it's a good diagram. Uh, Here we are. um, You got these two compartments. The body goes to the grave. The soul goes to to Hades, called uh, Sheol in the Old Testament. And this is called Abraham's bosom in Luke 16. But then there's another compartment for the unsaved. It's a place of torment. And you recall the discussion between the the, the rich man who died and the beggar Lazarus, as it's happening there in Luke 16. But uh, yeah, this is uh, the the realm called Hades or Sheol, uh, this uh, realm of departed spirits. And there's a great gulf that separated the two, as we find there. So, uh, yeah, and, and this is said to be in the, the lower parts of the earth, the heart of the earth, we believe. And so that's what we're talking about. That's where Christ's soul went at the time of his death. Clearly, at the moment of death, the soul of Christ went to paradise, the paradise section of Sheol, Hades. You remember what he said to the, the cross, uh, the thief on the cross, the repentant thief on the cross, right? He said, today, today. This very day, you'll be with me in torment. No, no, that's not what he said. You'll be with me in paradise. I mean, Christ that day went to paradise. Well, where was he? It was in Sheol, in the paradise section of Sheol, in that compartment called Abraham's bosom. That's where he went. Well, in the context of this underworld, uh, Colossians 2.15 indicates that Christ made a public spectacle over his enemies. 1 Peter 3.19 indicates that Christ went and proclaimed his victory over fallen angels in this realm. The cross was a victory. And all the underworld knew it as Christ proclaimed it. But the soul of Christ was not left in Sheol, Hades. No. On the third day, it was united with his body in resurrection glory. And so this verse also addresses the physical bodily reality of Christ in death. In death, Christ's soul went to the spirit realm of Sheol, Hades, but his body was placed in the tomb. But only for a short time, uh, a segment, a part of three days and three nights. It was not left there long enough to see corruption. The decaying process had not yet begun. For before that could happen, he was bodily resurrected from the dead. What an amazing prophecy. Given 1,000 years before the time of Christ, the Holy One, the Messiah, would go in death for a short time, his soul would, to Sheol. 
and his body to the grave, but only for such a short time that his body would not see corruption. Well, this was fulfilled to the letter in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have to wonder about this because both Peter and Paul, as I say, under inspiration, connected these dots perfectly. Notice uh, Peter, Acts chapter 2. Uh, for David says concerning him, and he's describing what has happened in terms of the resurrection. Uh, David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. This is an exact quote from Psalm 16, 8 through 11. And it's applied to Jesus, who fulfills this in the resurrection. Paul made the same point in Acts chapter 13. Notice uh, what it says there. Paul, making his uh, argument for the truth of the resurrection, says, therefore, he also says in another psalm, the psalm we're studying, 16, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. Yeah, he did. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. So Sheol Hades in the Old Testament was not spelled out real clear with a lot of, it had a lot of uncertainty surrounding it. However, the New Testament says that Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now we know from the New Testament revelation, following Christ, who has paved the way to glory in the resurrection, we know that the souls of departed saints now go immediately to heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And from the book of Hebrews, we now know that the spirits of just men made perfect, the Old Testament saints, have also been transferred to heaven. Hebrews 12, 23. After the resurrection of Christ, we find that Hades is only used now in reference to unbelievers. Today, the realm of Hades is the place of temporary torment where departed spirits of unbelievers go as they await the final, the final judgment at the great white throne where all who are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire, which is their place of everlasting punishment. We read about this, Revelation 20, 14, 15, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Death here represents the graves that hold the bodies of the lost, while Hades represents the holding place of their spirits. At this time, they will be resurrected with, bodies coming, with their bodies coming out of the graves to join with their spirits to appear before the great white throne for final judgment. The prophecy of Psalm 1610 could not directly apply to David because his body did corrupt in the ground and really, frankly, is still in the grave to this very day. Note here in Acts 2, Peter explains, Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. That's, that's, this, is, this is David. <laughs> 
This, this couldn't have, David's writing this psalm, but not all of this applied directly to David. Therefore, being a prophet, he, he had a prophetic ministry, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he foreseen this prophetically. Spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This applies to the greater David, not just to David, because David's in the grave. He's corrupting. But this one prophesy would not corrupt. Yes, his soul would go to, to Sheol, but his body would not corrupt. Well, Peter is showing them that this could not ultimately apply to David. But being a prophet and speaking prophetically, what David said here in Psalm 1610 was what applied to Christ the Messiah and has now been fulfilled in the resurrection. There are other clues here in this verse showing that this is a messianic prophecy. The title Holy One, literally favored one, is used here in the imperfect tense, indicating this would have a future fulfillment, which it did in reference to Jesus the Messiah. The description Holy One is clearly messianic in nature, only being surpassed in use by the phrase servant of the Lord in the Old Testament. This would happen in relation to this special one called the Holy One, which it did, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Prior to the time of Christ and his resurrection, when ancient Israel sang this song, as they did, the Psalms were the songbook of God's people. But when they sang this song, they must have scratched their heads in puzzlement, wondering what exactly this could mean when it spoke of the Holy One not seeing corruption. But in the resurrection, this puzzlement goes away. Now we have the answer to the riddle. It is in the truth of the resurrected Christ. Verse 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Again, Peter applies this, verse 11, to the experience of the Messiah in Acts 2.28. Jesus, in his human experience, anticipated the time of resurrection, resurrection glory, and the pleasures he would enjoy on the other side. In his high priestly prayer in John 17.5, Jesus prayed that God the Father would restore the glory which he had with him before the world was. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He was anticipating the joy on the other side of the cross. And that's what we have depicted here in verse 11. You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Jesus knew his coming death was not the end, and looked forward to the path of life in the resurrection, in which there is fullness of joy in the intimate presence of the Lord, and where there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. And bless his name, in Christ we now share in the wonder of these spiritual blessings as heirs together with Christ. We too will share in this fullness of joy in the presence of the Father and those everlasting pleasures, all thanks to Jesus and what he has accomplished for us in his death and resurrection. Henry Morris says, 
This is the first, this verse 11, this is the first of 21 biblical references to Christ ascending to the Father's right hand following his resurrection. Well, in Psalm 16, we have a remarkable outline of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. All beautifully laid out prophetically here in this psalm. So note this. Uh, psalm 69, death and burial, my flesh also will rest in hope. You know, so again, death is a, is a picture of resting in the Old Testament scriptures. But then Psalm 16, 10, resurrection, not leave my soul in Sheol, nor allow your holy one to see corruption. Clearly a prophetic reference to the resurrection. And then ascension, in your presence, on the other side, in your presence, at your right hand. So the fulfillment of centuries-old prophecy establishes the Bible to be the inspired word of God and the fulfillment, specifically in the person of Jesus Christ, shows that he indeed is the promised Messiah exactly as prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. The story is told about the Dutch Prince Johan Fris, uh, Frizzle. Uh, as he was about to get married, this is about uh, maybe 15 years ago, uh, the pastor asked him what God meant to him in his life. And the prince, who is a pilot and has studied aircraft engineering, engineering responded in this way. He said that for him, faith in God is as important as the instruments in the cockpit of an airplane. He said the instruments are reliable. Even in poor visibility, they can be completely trusted. They remain on course and provide a good landing. The Bible is a perfectly reliable guide, leading us to the truth that Jesus is the true Messiah and that all is fulfilled in him. The prophetic scriptures provide confidence for a life lived with God that takes us into eternity. Well, David said, preserve me, O God, for I put my trust in you. And that trust results in God showing the believer the path of life and ultimately entering into the presence of the Lord where there is fullness of joy, knowing the experience of being in God's intimate presence at his right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. Indeed, we as believers can say with David, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and have our closing song.